Good morning. It's good to see everyone. It's true we can never cease to sing of his grace. I love that song. It's such a, a great reminder of what the Lord has done for us. Um, bring greetings from my fellow elders at the Reformed Baptist Church in Riverside, California. Pastor Robert, Pastor Christian, Pastor David, we pray for you guys. We love you guys. And um, even as we sent Pastor Lynn and Denise and the family up here in 2004, we were Sad to, to lose them, but it's so wonderful to all these years later still have good friendship, good fellowship, and it was nice we got to spend the evening with them last night and have dinner and stay up late talking. <laughs> it was a, a good time of fellowship, and, and we always look forward, my family and I look forward to coming and visiting and seeing familiar faces and doing that sadly once every year or two, like, I know you, but I forgot your name, so please forgive me. I'm trying to remember names. I am taking ginkgo, so um, I'm hoping that will help. Um, <laughs> but aging is real, so uh, that, it, it happens to the best of us. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 40 today, and yes, the whole chapter, um, but the, we'll be looking at some of the broad strokes uh, in this chapter, and thankfully Pastor Lynn already read through that for us. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if any of you are familiar with Handel's Messiah, uh, the great oratorio. We often hear it at Christmas, but actually Handel wrote it for Easter time. Um, and it's this wonderful proclamation of, of Christ's foretelling in the Old Testament, his arrival, his death, his resurrection. Um, and it's amazing to me that to this day, uh, many people will gather to sing it at Christmas time or go to the performance of it, and they just they're enjoying it because it's a classical piece of music. But if you look at the words, they are straight out of God's word. Um, and the very beginning of Handel's Messiah has this song that begins with Isaiah 40: "Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people." In the King James, and you, you can hear this voice. Oh, but I won't do it. I won't do it. I want, I, but uh, this great voice calling out. And my family and I, several years ago, got to go see a performance of it in Pasadena. And it was just so powerful and so moving. And as I began to look at this passage a couple of years ago, um, I realized what, what is going on here. There is a, a call from God to his people who he's about to send into exile for the rebellion against him. But yet, in a sense, it's like a postcard. It's a little note that he's singing to his people before they go. I'm going to send some comfort to you. I'm going to, I'm going to remind you that I'm going to be doing something bigger than you can imagine. I'm going to remind you it's something that I told Adam that would happen. I told Abraham, uh, through Moses, uh, through David, all these wonderful people. I've been saying that I will be sending someone. I'm going to be sending comfort um, but nevertheless, um, uh, this letter comes just on the coattails of King Hezekiah, who tried to make treaties with people around him, uh, all the countries around him. He, he was scared of them. He didn't trust that God would be his protector, so he brings all these you know, people in, and he shows them all his treasury and his storehouses. And God, at the end of chapter 39, is like almost like to what he did to Adam, what have you done? What, what, what have you shown them? He's like, well, I showed them everything. <laughs> and he's like, you will be judged for this. And, and your children will be slaves and everything will be taken to Babylon because you've not trusted in me. And Hezekiah's response is tragic because he's like, well, 
At least there'll be peace in my time. Oh, <laughs> there's not a, a great example of a, a politician there for you. But nevertheless, as God says, judgment is coming for their blatant idolatry, for their blatant rebellion against him. He sends a message of comfort. And I, I think it's a timely message that we need to hear today. As we were praying this morning in a prayer meeting, uh, even as we prayed just a moment ago, uh, Ukraine and war into Europe is, is heavy on our hearts. Uh, and this comes on the cusp of uh, unimaginable inflation over the last year. And this is in the cusp of a pandemic for two years. And we're living in turbulent times. One of my children said, Dad, am I going to remember this? Is this? Are we living in history? And I get what he's saying. It's true. You will, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, look back and go, oh, 2019, how nice it was. <laughs> Little did we know what we were on the cusp of. But nevertheless, as inflation skyrockets and as rockets fall on Ukraine, as, as we wonder about what could happen, 75 years of peace in Europe, and now could there be a great war? We need to be reminded that God is bigger than we can imagine. That he is more holy than we can comprehend. That he is just in all of his decisions. He is wise in all of the things that he does. That he is glorious in his splendor. As we were even talking about in Sunday school, I often reflect on these beautiful Sierras here and just marvel because we see God's glory in it. And yet his glory is preserved for himself alone. And in all that we just sang here a moment ago, we are reminded he is so gracious, more gracious than we can imagine, so forgiving than we can even realize. And so even in the face of judgment that Israel was facing, God reveals to us why we can be comforted and if you look, you can break this down in many ways, open up the commentaries. They, they love to break things down in, in helpful bite-sized chunks. But for the sake of today, I just want to look at three comforts that we can find in this. The first one is verses 1 through 8, comfort through God's word. The second one there, verses 9 through 26, the biggest section is comfort through God's greatness. And then the final section, the final few verses there, Comfort in actually trusting or believing in God's word and in his greatness. So let's look at that first few verses there, verses 1 through 8. How is it that we can find comfort through God's word? Well, like I said, this is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah. And he is saying that judgment is coming. So why why is it that they can be comforted? Um, and it is because God says that he will be with them. You'll find this theme over and over in the next several chapters, culminating even in, even in Isaiah 49, verse 13. For the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted ones. And even today, we can remember God's comforting nature towards his people. The Apostle Paul was moved and touched by this wonderful quality of God when he referred to him as the father 
of compassion. That he was the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in our trouble with the comfort we, were, we ourselves have received. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. But one might ask, why? Why can we find comfort in the words of God? Verse 2 explains that God would forgive them of their iniquities. Even though they were rebellious, even though they were deserving of God's judgment, God would still be near them. He was their covenant God. He had made a commitment to them. And truly, this should bring us comfort. What a reminder that God loves his chosen people. He cares for his people. He forgives us of our sins and he comforts us with his word. Truly, the most comforting words a sinner like you and I could ever hear are, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. And the way that God forgives is not the way that we forgive, huh? Because we forgive and we say we forget, but we kind of remember still. It takes a while for a grudge to kind of die. But God, when he forgives, he separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west, as, as deep as the ocean is. Those are the metaphors that the psalmist like to use. But we know God can't just overlook sin. It's not just like I say, okay, forget about it. It's not that big a deal. No, God's holy. He, it would be unjust for God to say, I'm going to get rid of your sins. It's not that big of a deal. Well, verse 3 reminds us. It, it, in fact, it even points us to the reason why God will be able to forgive us of our sins. What does it say there in verse 3? A voice cries out in the wilderness. I'll stop there for a second. Does that sound like anything that you've read in the New Testament? A voice crying out in the wilderness. Let's read that there in verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist, in a sense, is the fulfillment of the first part here. He was that voice crying out in the wilderness that the Messiah was coming. And then John even had the, the beautiful privilege, in a sense, of even announcing, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of his people. What, what a privilege to get to announce that. And then in verse 5 says that the glory of the Lord would be seen. That the glory of God would be seen. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Though the exiles may not have picked up on the, the messianic promise that's clearly being referenced here. Surely they wondered how is it that sinful people can see the glory of God. I mean after all. 
Moses was the closest that they knew who could see God's glory, and it had to be veiled. He had to turn away behind a rock, and he still glowed from the little bit of the evanescence of God that he saw. So the words here rooted in this Hebrew history would bring comfort. There is something going on here. There's some sort of promise happening here. Verse 5 clearly says that all flesh not just the Jews, not just the Hebrews, all flesh would see God's glory, Yahweh's glory. And so we can see even today that the Lord was working out his plan of redemption. Even in their exile, as they will be going to shortly, he would bring them back into their land. And this would give them hope to endure in exile. But this prophecy, though, is very pregnant. It's full of deep, redemptive promises. Because, you see, it's not just that, okay, we'll be able to come back home at some point here. The promise is that this line, this messianic line that God had promised Abraham was not broken. And it it would be kept. And that they'd be brought back to their land. And at some time... Generation upon generation upon generation, there would be a young woman named Mary in the line of David who would give birth to the Messiah. God was protecting them physically. He was keeping them as his unique people to preserve that messianic line. And of course, we know that Isaiah had the wonderful privilege in chapter 53 uh, to reveal even further about this Messiah, the one who would come and take away their sins, the one who could deal with the sin of people. And yet you can see in this prophecy an expectancy, a joy, a comfort that the Lord wanted his people to have. He would provide a just way to remove their sins because he would place their sins upon this Messiah. That he would take their trespasses upon himself. By his wounds they would be healed and they would be forgiven. And this promise is even for us today. So how blessed we are, aren't we? That when we read Isaiah 40, we see Jesus. <laughs> We're like, oh my goodness, look at this. This is a clear call to trust in the great I am, in the Yahweh, in Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior. And so when we read in the New Testament passages like John 1.14, and the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Through Christ, we behold God's glory. Through Christ, we have our sins forgiven. As Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile today, all flesh if you're trusting in Christ Jesus through faith alone, 
not through anything that you could do. You get to behold the glory of God. And it shines brightly through his word. And it testifies to our souls through the power of the Holy Spirit who now is abiding within us. Mind-blowing to the Hebrews so long ago. They couldn't fully have comprehended that. What a privilege it is that we get to be these people today to experience God in this wonderful way. The word of God took on flesh. The word of God took away our judgment. The word of God gave us his righteous record. And the word of God is ruling his church right now, seeking to give us comfort, even in this troubled world. What were some of his last words there in the upper room? In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have troubles. Oh, but take courage, little sheep. I have overcome the world. What confidence. He hadn't gone to the cross yet, but he knew it would be finished and it would be done and it would be done well. And so even these exiles in modern Babylon, looking forward to returning back there, there was a promise in an ancient way that God would still be revealing his glory in something special. So in true poetic fashion, this section begins with God's word being a comfort and it ends reminding us of this same truth. Look at verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. The hope, the comfort that people like you and me can find in God's word is insurpassable. <laughs> and when we find ourselves troubled, I'm going to confess to you, it's because I'm not taking up. This means enough. I'm not diving into the Psalms that were written by troubled men who then looked to God. People in troubled times who found hope in God. And oh, the hope, the oh, the comfort that we can find in God's word. Are we treasuring it in our hearts? Are we taking it up? We don't know when the day of great trouble might come. Think about many who are fleeing in Ukraine even now. Do they have a chance to go and grab their Bible? Sometimes you just flee with the shirt on your back and your kids and you get out. Literally saw a video from a sister organization that works with us and one of their broadcasters in East Ukraine. Literally, she shot a little video of them locking their house, hopping in their car, two kids in the back, a cat, her husband, and they took off. And, and that's what they had. There are times when maybe we don't even get to take the Bible with us. And that's the beautiful uh, um, reality of hiding God's word in our hearts. I know of a pastor who got COVID really bad and was in the hospital for a few days. His wife couldn't come. You know, as it were, are the rules? Nobody could come. But he said the Psalms that he had in his heart, he was reciting over and over. And God's comfort was near him, even in isolation, even as he was not breathing well. God preserved him. But he said it was God's word that gave him hope, gave him comfort in those times. So the first section here is that we find comfort in God's word. In the second section, verse, beginning in verse 9, we find comfort through God's 
greatness. A person's word is only as good as who they are. We know that as people, right? There's some people like, his word is good. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. If he says he's going to show up at this time, he's going to be there at this time. Then there are people whose word isn't as trustworthy. And the more we know someone, the more we can trust them, or the more we go, well, I don't know if their word is their bond. I don't know if it's as strong as as they say it is. But in these next several verses, we find comfort in being reminded of God's greatness. He doesn't just say things. He fulfills things. He keeps his word because he is mighty. He is great. He is able to do it. Even a father, an earthly, worldly human father, with the best of intentions can sometimes promise something, and then it just doesn't work out. You know, there, there are things that happen that are outside of their power. And you can hear kids say, but Dad, you said. And it's like, I know, son. I really wanted to do this. I know, daughter. This was in my plans, but I didn't know our car was going to break down. Or I didn't know I was going to lose my job and we can't afford to go on this vacation now. Sometimes we, we're reminded we just don't always have the ability to fulfill our word. But God is great. He is able to fulfill his word. Let's look at verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, and herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like shepherd, like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What is it that God wants Uh, Israel to see. One, they want him to behold their God, to behold him. And what does he want them to see about himself? That he comes with might and his arm rules with him. He is strong and he is mighty. We see that God is bigger than we can imagine. God's people are told to behold their God. The good news is he's not saying hide from your God. He's coming. Oh no, dad's home. Hide. No, there's an invitation here. There's still an expectation of grace. You deserve judgment, and I'm going to send you to judgment, but I want you to behold me. You're going to see my might. Often Isaiah uses this, you're going to see my right arm of strength. And it's an invitation to see God in all of his glory, to see that he has the strength to uphold his word. And yet, he shows his mercy. His graciousness in verses uh, 11 there. An invitation to see him 
as a tender shepherd who lovingly cares and guides for his flock. It's kind of flabbergasting. God has the power to say, you have rebelled against me, you have despised my name, you have worshipped other idols, you are an adulterous whore. I judge you for all of eternity. And yet, he shows, I am willing to forgive you of your sins. And I want to be your shepherd. Like a shepherd, he will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them. Does that not remind you of Psalm 23? That God, with his rod and his staff, he comforts us. His strength is still tender towards his sheep, towards his people. It still brings us comfort. His word is true because he is able to sustain it and to fulfill it. There's none like him. That's what Isaiah keeps saying over and over and over. Even God through Isaiah will say, is there anyone like me? Please tell me if you know of somebody like me. And of course, we think back to the precious words of our Messiah, Jesus, who declared himself the good shepherd. It's here that Isaiah begins to ask a series of questions. And he'll do this through many of his writings. And this is, a, by the way, a skilled way of teaching, to ask a question, to get people to think. And so he has declared God's greatness. Now he's going to ask these questions. And that's where verses 12 through 14. Who has measured the waters in his hands? Who has marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in the scale, the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Who uh, and what man shall him his or show his counsel or shows his counsel, sorry? Whom does he consult? Who has taught him? All these series of questions. Do you have an answer to that, by the way? <laughs> How much do the Sierras weigh? How many stars are in the sky? Can you measure the spirit of God, who is eternal? <laughs> in some ways, it's almost absurd, isn't it? I, I don't know. Um, actually, I think you probably could say, hey, Google, or hey, Siri, or hey, Alexa, how much does the planet Earth weigh? There's probably some sort of estimate out there. But the point here is saying there are certain things that are beyond our comprehension. We just don't know. But God does. And too often, ancient Israel, and even us today, forget who God is. Have you measured the heavens? Have you measured the earth? And so you're going to say, God, I don't like the way you're doing it. You should do it this way. Oh, really? <laughs> do you know what I'm doing? <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of think you do. It doesn't seem like you know what you're doing. Well, okay. Do you, oh human, know these things? Are you able to counsel me? Are you able to give me a little bit of insight of something I didn't know? Thanks for shining a light on that. That's really helpful. In some ways, God is being facetious in these questions. And the point is, it is to be a bit obscured, 
Only God knows how big the universe is. Only he knows what he is actually doing at all times. Only he acts wisely in all that he does for his glory. And so the point, the point that's being driven here is that God is far greater than you can even possibly imagine. He has no equal. And it would be foolish to believe that we were like him. And that is one of our, that is the great sin, isn't it? Adam and Eve thought they could partake of that fruit and be like God. That was the lie, wasn't it? Oh, you'll be like God. And we're lied to. Our flesh lies to us all the time. Because we elevate ourselves almost up here with God. Well, Lord, I think it'd be better if this happened or if you did that. But even if we understand that we are not equal to God too often, we look to other things as if they were. And that's what verse 15 through 20 is really dealing with here. I won't read it for the sake of time. But as, as uh, Isaiah is writing here, he reminds us that the nations, the countries... Ukraine, Russia, America, the Inca Empire, Rome, drops in a bucket. What an expression. There's a big bucket of water. I mean, that's Rome, that little drop that then all of a sudden, where'd that drop go? I only see water now, it's gone. That's the comparison here. The nations are a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on a scale. When you go buy some apples, do you better dust off those scales there so I make sure I don't pay extra for that dust? We don't even think about it. It's dust. That should give us comfort today, by the way. Vladimir Putin. Oh, you little piece of dust. President Biden, you little drop in a bucket. Do you not know? Have you not heard? There is an everlasting God and you are not like him. It's truly sad. And we can look at Israel and go, oh, Israel, you're so stupid. God has done so much for you. Look at how he liberated you from Egypt. Look at how he blessed you with the promised land and you worshiped idols. We could say that to ourselves, too. Oh, America, you're so stupid. All those beautiful cars and houses and vacation plans, all that wealth, and you're doing nothing with it for the gospel. In fact, that's what led Israel into exile. It was idolatry. Hezekiah Look to other countries for protection when God said, I will be your strength. I will be your might. I will protect you. Hezekiah's eyes were elsewhere. And God wants his people to remember, listen, you are not a part of this world, this system. And I know it's easy to get caught up in it because you're living in it. But there's a bigger kingdom, my kingdom, 
and the kingdom is coming and it's going to be greater than you can ever imagine. Why are you looking to other nations or to kings to bring you stability? Before God, all nations are nothing before him. The greatest nation, if we took all those nations I just mentioned and could combine it into a super country, still is nothing compared to our great God. Israel was called to look to the Lord as their king, to depend on him alone, yet they too often compromise this by looking to other godless nations for their help. And so verses 18 through 20 remind us that they also depended upon and worshipped these false gods that a lot of these other nations had. To whom then will you liken God? And what likeness compare with him? You've got literal idols in your land. You have these high places that are worshipping false gods. And so are you trying to fashion me into that? Though they might not have all had golden or wooden idols, he's asking them something. And even thinking of Hezekiah, has peace and safety and freedom become an idol to you, Hezekiah? Remember his response, well, at least I'll have peace and safety in my time. Oh, of course, we don't want to be foolish like that. But I'm afraid many Christians live that way in America. Long as we have peace and safety, God's blessing us. And if we don't have peace and safety, then God isn't blessing us. Brothers and sisters, we're fortunate to live in a land where we don't have to worry about that secret police knocking on our door right now. But in five to ten years, the world could change quickly. And we might. And if that idol falls, are we still going to follow God? Are we going to be like that Ukrainian pastor who said, I'm staying. My family's staying. We're going to minister to those who are hurting. Or are we going to move to Tennessee where it's safe? Sometimes there's a place to go. Some of those Ukrainians need to flee because there are bombs falling on their houses. But for many of us, we need to be careful. For many, this creates fear and anxiety in our lives because we're not looking to God as our strength. We're not trusting in him as the great God who has a wonderful plan and his kingdom is coming and the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom. And if you're in that kingdom, who do you have to fear? And that's really... Really, these questions here in verses 25 and in verses 26. Sorry, sorry. In verses 21 and 26. Do you not know? Do you not hear? The Lord is the everlasting God. Safety can become an idol. Well-being can become an idol. Prosperity can become an idol. And when these things disappear, fear, anxiety begin to rule because we're looking to something other than the Lord. Oh, that we would look to God alone for our hope, 
for our peace, for our safety. Now, I'm not saying that's not a place. We have the, the wonderful freedom to speak into things now. We can vote. We can write our city council members. We can write the president of the United States. You probably won't read it. No, sorry. <laughs> but we have the privilege of speaking in and, and, and wanting to preserve the wonderful blessings that we have here. Religious freedom is my most favorite one. But if we make it an idol, we will be very anxious. So let me move on here. God inspires Isaiah to ask more questions. And those are the ones that I just mentioned there. How can it be that you do not know that God is in control? Verses 21 through 27. How is it that you have not heard that he is over all, even the idols, even the rulers of this world? Lift up your eyes to the things of God. Turn them from the things of this world. Lift up your eyes to the Creator. As Psalm 121 says, your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We say that too often, but think about that. Why can we trust that God will be our help? He made the world. <laughs> Some of you engineers over here at the base, they probably get brought in on some of the projects you're working on. And someone says, I don't know if this is going to, how can we trust that this will work? Well, ask Lynn. He made it. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to work. I made it. <laughs> okay. uh, there, there are times we trust that, okay, well, the guys here who built, how do I know this building is going to stand? Oh, the architect's here. It'll stand. We've tested it. We, I built it. Uh, we know it's, it's strong. The, there's simple ways that we trust people today. Why is it we can trust the God, in the Lord, in, in God? This whole middle section here is dealing with, he is great, he is mighty, he is our creator. He made heaven and earth. He is the one who made all things. He is the one that is sustaining all things. So we find comfort in God's word. Why? Because we find comfort in his greatness, in his strength. So finally, verses 26 to 31 we can find comfort in trusting in him. Trusting in his word and trusting in his strength. Verse 28 through 31. Let's just read it one more time. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Precious precious words of God. I used to read this almost sarcastically, but more and more I'm thinking about it. It's shepherdly. It's not, have you not known? <laughs> you know, we can be like that with people. Did you not hear? No, no, no. God's revealed his heart already. He wants to comfort his people. And so it is a question. Oh, sheep, do you not know? 
have you not heard? I'm the everlasting God. Trust in me. Trust me. If you don't know, if you haven't heard, if you've been so caught up in your idols, so distracted, let me share with you a truth. I'm your God. I'm eternal. I'm the creator. I know all things. This is the great God you have heard about since you were a child, dear Israel. Your parents talked about it. You went through the rituals. But let me bring you back to who I am. In many ways, it just harkens back to that great call, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Let me read it for you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Israel practiced this to a certain degree even though many did not follow this. They had heard of God's greatness. It was ingrained into their culture. And yet as a nation, they had turned their backs on him. They were not waiting upon the Lord. And that is the promise here in this section at the end of Isaiah. Those that wait upon the Lord are given a blessing in life. Those that trust in him. And I tell you, it's not just sitting around like waiting for a bus. This word actually implies that they are looking for him. Hoping in him. They are expectant that he will show his might. Those who trust in God's word. Those who trust that he is able to fulfill his promises are strengthened in their faith. Words of hope written to a people that were going into exile. Words of hope as they would be in exile. As they would be surrounded by a different culture, a different religion, a different language. Oh, Israel, you need to know God's greatness. Oh, Israel, you need to know God's word. Oh, Israel, trust in him. Be comforted by this truth of who he is. And even today, we're the exiles, aren't we? We're the pilgrims. We're the ones passing through. And so, old church, you need to be reminded of God's greatness. Old church, you need to trust in God's word. Old church, be comforted by these things. And be comforted by the fact that you do not have the strength to live in this life on your own. You do not have the ability to bring glory to God on your own. Don't even try. 
Even the most fit is what Isaiah reminds us here. Even the youth grow weary. You've watched young kids run, right? They can run for hours. <laughs> you can watch in the Olympics the most fit human beings on the face of the earth do quadruple twists in the air and land them with perfection. But did you see them afterwards? <gasps> Deep breathing. They gave it their all. They're exhausted. They only have a certain amount of strength. Who are we trusting in? Who do we put our hope in? Oh, that we would wait upon the Lord. And when we wait upon him, God promises to renew our strength. We don't claim this like a prosperity gospel promise. I claim a healing in the name of the Lord. I'm waiting for it now. I need my miracle right now. No, this is a deeper strength than you and I can imagine. This is the strength when you're a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And you still say, I know my God is good. This is the strength when you're sitting at the edge of the bed of a loved one who is dying. And you say, Lord, you're good. This is the strength when bombs fall on your land. And you say, oh Lord God, who do we have hope in but you? Commentator Alex Moitier says, this is not a hyperdemic syringe operation. The injection of some transforming serum called strength. It is what the Lord is in himself. The unfainting, the unwearying one imparts his own unfainting, unwearying nature in us. <laughs> wow. The Lord is himself is our strength. As Psalms 28, 7 and 8 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. I am helped. My heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to you. The Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus our Savior, he is our strength. When we wait upon him, he renews our strength by being our strength. As I quoted a moment ago, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul was physically struggling, wasn't he? He pleaded to the Lord to take the thorn from his side. Huh. But what did the Lord say? Amen, brother. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, what? I am strong. Brothers and sisters, it is my prayer today we are comforted by God's word.
because we are comforted by his strength. It is my prayer that we are trusting in him, that we are waiting upon him. And when you don't, let me tell you, you won't sometime this week, that you'll turn back to him. Because that's the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life. We are prone to wander. We feel it, right? But the Spirit, grace fetters us, ties us, keeps us, preserves us. So when you go, oh Lord, I'm, str- I, I, I'm struggling. I, I'm trusting in my own strength. I'm, I, I don't understand all these anxieties. The Christian life is a life of repentance. It's a life of just turning it right back and saying, Lord, I am sorry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I need your word. I need to hear your word in my heart. This morning, we're hearing from his word. Week in and week out, we can take up the Psalms. We can read through the epistles. We can read through the, the, the books of Moses and see time and time and time again, he is faithful to his people, even in their faithlessness. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So may we as a a church in exile have our faith renewed today in the Lord. May we mount up with wings like eagles. May we run the race set before us and not grow weary. May we walk and not be faint. Even as we look to our great Savior, our great Creator, Jesus the Christ, who walks with us, who shepherds us, who keeps us until that great day. That's the hope of a Christian. That's the strength of a Christian. That's what brings us comfort. And I'll just end with this. As I just said, that's the hope of a Christian. That's the comfort of a Christian. If you're not trusting in the Lord today, if your hope is not in Jesus Christ today, you will have no comfort in this world. You know that. I know you know that. Because you've gone from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, hoping it will bring you comfort, hoping it will bring you peace. And it never does, because the world offers us water that we just keep getting thirsty for. But Jesus offers water you will never thirst again. And it will give you strength to live for his glory. And all you have to do is come to him. In fact, even that I hesitate to say because there's nothing you can do. But just come to him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened by your sin. What does he promise? I will give you rest. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. That's our shepherd. And I will give you rest.